Y'all don't mind if I sit down, please. <laughs> Been struggling with the flu a little bit this week. Actually, a lot. Uh, so, do not approach after the service. Probably be a good idea. You should sterilize this. Uh, thank you to the thank you to the musicians um, who did such a great job. And uh, those, um, Clay, your wisdom and the leadership at the church, wisdom for allowing those younger people to play such a leadership role. That's very good. Do you all know this morning how much God enjoys you? Are you aware of that? I think at some level we know that here because we've been told God loves us, Jesus loves you. Um, We've been told it so much, we've become inoculated to, the, to, to it. It's like, it's like the mom who throws out, love ya, love ya, love ya, love ya, love ya, love ya. It becomes really meaningless, if you will, after a while. Love you is way different than I love you, isn't it? And to hear the Father say to you, I love you. Whether you understand that or not, should stir us in such a way that is both incredibly terrifying at one level and incredibly drawing at another. And so when we hear the idea, it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God, we view this wrathful monster who we should be afraid of in an Oz-like way. Why would that be good news to a 10-year-old child? And we better not disobey the terrifying God It's terrifying, God is terrifying to us for one one reason only, because he loves us at levels that are unimaginable to us. And most of us have never been known or would never want to be known at the level God loves us. And that unnerves us a lot to be known at that level. God know me at this level, but don't know me, don't really know me. Because so often, most of us walk around life, I wish I had good friends. Whoops, not that good of friends. I want people to know me. Whoop, not, nope, not that close. And we send this signal, come closer, whoops, not that close, come closer, not that close. I think, and I mean this kindly, ladies, but almost every husband in this room will understand this. Come closer, not so close, come closer, not so close, come dance with me, you don't know how to dance. Right? Come to church with me, how come you don't come to church? And but God says, I know you 
at the depth of your being. I created you. I knew you before you were in your mother's womb. And we say at some level back to him, I know and that terrifies me. Don't know me so well. So we create religious systems. We create religious systems to make God manageable. And trust me, I've I've got 17 pages of ordination notes uh, on my desk that that I went through months and months and months and months and counsel and counsel and counsel and people reviewing my ordination notes to make sure that I understand the systems that God worked within so that we can understand how God works. Because to simply understand that God loves us, uh, that's way too vague. That's way, that's way too hard. That's way too problematic. Let's categorize revelation so we can figure out when the red moon is coming and we can figure out when he's going to come and we can spend all of our energy doing that. That would be like the couple sitting at the table always talking about cattle and never talking about each other's heart. Always talk about the local political scene. Always talk about the things that are going on around us, but we never talk about each other because I don't want to be known at that level because it's scary. It's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God, and I want to assure you this morning that God loves you and knows you. He invites you. He knows where you've been. He knows where you've been in your mind. He knows those dark corners people that we've gone to this week. He knows those. He was there with us. He knows what you do when you're lonely. He knows what you do when you're ecstatic. He knows the grandiosity you go to when you're the man. And he knows the depths you, of I'm a fool that you go to when, when you fail. He knows when you're afraid. And he knows when you're arrogant. He knows us. We can't hide. And that troubles us. And you know that. And that's why I'm telling you this morning, God loves you. Right where you are. Right now, he's not afraid of your shadows. He loves you. If we could catch that, we'd bring thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We'd bring the kingdom of God to our communities if we could just catch that. Let's go to Romans chapter 12. Verse 2, we're going to bring it up on the screen here. I dealt with the first part of this in in my way, anyway. uh, And I chose this scripture back when we set up this speaking schedule just so it it would be a meaty enough enough piece that I could work through for several speaking sessions. And I'm not done, by the way. But I'm going to leave alone now. uh, can we get uh, one and two? I'm sorry. Yeah, there we are. Uh, I'm, I'm going to leave alone the, the first verse, except reflect back to it. We're going to deal with the second verse of Romans chapter 
12, verse 2 today. I urge you, therefore, in view of God's mercies, Romans chapter 1 through 12, were basically about how the Jewish people in Rome had been uh, trying to do religion, trying to please God, keeping, trying to understand that, well, Jesus is the Messiah, but we're still doing these sacrificial systems and, and on and on. And so he explains to them, uh, you still didn't get it right. And we've had 12 chapters more or less of that. You still don't understand it. But God loves you and forgives you anyway. Chapter 12, 1. So in light of that forgiveness, in light of that mercies, in light of all your religious efforts, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Don't offer your goat. Don't offer your lamb, your dove. Offer yourself as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Right, Stop right there. I want to make this equation for you. Worship isn't about music. It's not about singing. It's not about prayer. It's not about Bible reading. It's not about raising our hands or closing our eyes. Someone can be uh, in the seat when everyone's standing and, and the crowd is doing this. And they can have their head down and they may or may not be worshiping more than the person on the front row. person on the front row might be making a scene. Maybe not. I don't know. I can't judge that. But we can't judge the person sitting with their eyes closed because they may have had their heart broken this week and they're sitting there just soaking in the music that all these good people are singing and they're mourning because of the heartbreak, but they're letting the Spirit of God wash over them. And, but we go, wow, they're not worshiping. Not true. If a person is a living sacrifice, they are worshiping. That's the equation. That's it. If you're a living sacrifice, you are worshiping. Turning wrenches, reading contracts, writing documents, working cattle, teaching school, or running the city of Atoka. If you are a living sacrifice, you're worshiping. Can we catch that? Tomorrow morning when you open up your shop, you, I hope, are worshiping as you do that. And that doesn't mean you're singing or praying. That means you're a living sacrifice and the way you go about your day is worship. The way you go about your day reflects God and enjoys God, reflects God out to the world. You and God are enjoying each other. That's worship. So, when I sat down, Susie and I spent some time with our grandkids. We had five days in a row recently while we were doing something that hopefully I'm, we've done. Our foundation has done a video project on fathers and sons and reconciliation. We have six episodes of real time, real film, film, real conversations of fathers and sons reconciling with each other, unscripted, and it's beautiful. And I hope you see it soon because it's almost ready to go to publication. Susie and I were up at the premiere for this. Uh, long story, we saw our grandkids. I sat down uh, in the chair one time and uh, I was really hoping my grandkids would come around and sing songs to me and raise their hands and say, Grandpa is great, Grandpa is great, oh, Grandpa is great. And then after their hour of doing that was up, then they go off and never see me again. No, I would rather be on the floor playing with them, and I'd rather 
have Henry put his head on my shoulder and just pat, pat, my, pat my back like this as a four-year-old boy and then pat my arm when we're sitting watching a little bit of TV. God wants the relationship and singing is part of it. And I hope they sing to me. Oh, but we played and we held hands and we looked at things and they sat in my lap and we just did life together. That's worship. Can we get that point? We just did life enjoying each other. That's worship. In your bedrooms, in your bathrooms, in your kitchens, in your schools. Worship. It's not hard to worship. Just be with God, let Him enjoy you, and you enjoy Him. We'll put that aside now. Let's go to chapter 2, or verse 2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good and perfect will. This is really not that hard, and I think you already see my pattern. A living sacrifice equals worship. So often what I hear about is, I'm praying about God's will, and I want to tell you what God's will is, and it's not that hard to understand what God's will is. I will tell you it has nothing to do whether you work at Burger King or McDonald's. Nothing. Can I say that again? God's will is has very little to do with whether you go to OU or OSU. Very little to do with that. It has everything to do with whether you have a renewed mind or not. According to Romans chapter 2, 12, or, or chapter 12, verse 2. Mind you, this is the apex of all of Paul's dissertation, this huge dissertation to the Jewish people, hometown church people who are living in Rome. This is the apex. This is the corner that he's making. And so he's got to make a really strong point. You want to worship, be a living sacrifice. You want to know God's will, have a renewed mind. Simple as that. And that's what I want to talk about today a little bit. Uh, I'm going to suggest to you that a renewed mind, and this is where us speakers have to extrapolate a little bit, uh, and expand on something, and that's what I'll do in just a minute. We're going to show you a video clip, uh, one of my favorites of, uh, from a big, fat Greek wedding. And if we could show the longer of the two, bring the house lights down real quick and have the volume up. I want to show you a bit of what I'm going to call manipulation versus ministry. Do not be conformed to the world. We lose our volume. Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> 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 
All right, let's cut this. Now you want to go home and watch the whole movie. Can we bring up the second scene? Please? Or is it at the end there? And here we go. We must have caught the thing. This was his hour. And he came out. Now he's going to kill an hour. I know what to do. You don't know what to do. You talk, talk, talk. Yes, I want you. Tell me what to say. But don't tell me what to say. Perfect. That's it. So, Rula, how is business? Oh, woe to me. Business is bad. What is that? What's the matter? What's happening? You need money? No, no, no. What she means is that with the two businesses, she suffers. She suffers? She suffers. She has to be at the travel agency alone all day because everybody else needs to be working at the big dry cleaning store. That's right. I make Taki go to the dry cleaner store, and now I have no time with him. So, say, Uncle or Nikki to the travel agency, you can with Taki at the dry cleaner. That would be good. That, that would be not good. No good. No good. No good. Because uh, neither Angelo or Nikki know how to use the computer. That's why that no work. All right, <clears throat> lights. Perfect. An example of manipulation, right? The, the ladies wanted something to happen, but they were in a patriarchal Greek society, and so they, were, they knew that the father had to agree to it, and so they figured out this plan uh, to manipulate him so that he'd think it's, ah, his idea. And I want to offer to you uh, not that scene, by, by the way. Let's get chapter 12, verse 2 back up there. Not that scene, but just the idea of manipulation. And I want to suggest to you that if we are conformed to the world, we are manipulators. We have taken this passage and abused so many high school and college in services over the years where we have brought this passage up, do not be conformed to this world, and we've made it about hair, rock music, clothing, styles. We've made it about culture. We've made it about everything external. And folks, I want to tell you, 20 years later, that list will change. And we'll call it a biblical list, and we'll say it's God's will. Are you tracking with me? At the turn of the century, 
only certain kinds of women's, well, I wish I hadn't brought this up now, <laughs> wore certain undergarments. By the end of World War I, those undergarments were normal for all women. But oh, I could hear the preachers. We have made do not conform to this world. We've reduced it to external things. We've reduced it to behavior. And we have put this burden on our kids and on each other that basically says, if you're going to be a Christian, it is your duty to not conform to the world, and the gospel becomes an invitation to go be weird. Go be alone at your high school. Go be ostracized at work. Go be odd. And that is not what this text is about. We have reduced it to a behavior. We've turned it into a hammer. We've turned the good news into some very bad news. And whenever as, as youth we begin to hear this, do not conform to the world any longer, I prepare, in, I prepare for an assault on my culture. I prepare for assault on my music. Now, this message is preached differently in France where they have wine with every meal. But in the 60s, it was preached with alcohol in the U.S., because the way we approach this has nothing to do with biblical truth. It had everything we do, everything to do with how we try to control and manipulate to maintain our culture and call it God's will. Shame on us. Shame on me. Do not conform to the world means something like this, and this is my best effort. If you live in the world, all the world has is this. It's now. And so our job from childhood, we learn to manipulate the world, maneuver, posture, position, strategize, pose, manipulate others to get what we want, to get it so life works for us. I know none of you have ever done that. Let me put it to you this way. I will say that when someone gets married, they're not really in love. They think they're in love. But for those of us who've been married for a while, we know that love grows and develops over time, right? And so I tell young couples that, who say they love each other, I say, I think I get that. Uh, as far as you know right now, I think you like each other a whole lot, and that's, good. that's a good start. But love... That'll develop over time. When many of us <clears throat> said, and I hope I didn't do this to Susie, when many of us got married, the, the pastor said, um, well, Mark, will you give her this ring? And I said, sure, I will. Uh, will you tell her you love her? Sure, I will. I love you. But what I really meant was, Susie, I, I, I haven't ver felt very powerful during my life. I haven't felt like very influential during my life. Here's my ring. My ring on your finger gives you the right now to make me feel important and powerful as long as you live. Manipulation. Here's my ring 
back to you, I, I've never had much money and I'm, I'm nervous about my ability to make money, but your family's wealthy and here's my ring back to you. You, you have the right to use your wealth to create comfort for me for as long as you live and we manipulate. Our lips say I love you. Are you with me? Our lips say I love you because, but our heart, my heart says cute girls have never really liked me and you're a cute girl. Here's my ring. You are bound now to like me by law for the rest of your life, you lucky thing. (laughs) She says, every man I've ever known has let me down in some fashion. And I know you're going to let me down, but this, this ring on your finger is your promise that if you let me down, I can bite you because you're not supposed to. You're the only one who's now bound legally to not let me down. My lips say, I love you. I've never really felt beautiful, and you say I'm beautiful. Here's my ring. You now have the right to tell me I'm beautiful. In fact, at some level, I demand that you tell me I'm beautiful. And all these books tell you that you're supposed to tell me I'm beautiful every day. And here's my ring, and now you can tell me I'm beautiful for the rest of my life. But my lips say I love you. Do you see how we manipulate our world? Our children, we have children, and we say, I I just want the best for them. But so often, what happens is when they act out a little bit, we discipline out of embarrassment. Because children are supposed to make us look good. My children are supposed to conform to my values, my lifestyle. They're supposed to like the things I like and do the things I like. And they're supposed to accept everything I say on face value. And we manipulate our children. And when they, at 14 years old, go, I don't think so, Dad, we panic because they're supposed to serve us. And by the way, it's quite the other way around. They're not our children, by the way. They're God's children. Our job is to steward them, and it's a humble, terrible responsibility. Conforming to the world means buying into the agenda of manipulating everything we see from our house to our car to our spouse to our children to our boss to our church so that life works for me. Later on in this scene of Big Fat Greek Wedding, Tula tells her dad, Dad, I'm going to go to college. Do you remember what he said? He looked at her and he says, Why do you want to leave me? (laughs) Because it's all about him. He wasn't interested in what was best for her. It was about him. He was conformed to this world. Make this world home. Make this world work for you. That's what people of the world do. They make this world work because it's all they have. As Christians, we're called to not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And our time is almost up, so I'm going to end, I'm going to end with this. The word transformed right there is best translated out of the Latin, metamorphosis. 
Morpheus was the Greek god of slumber. Catch this. Morpheus was the Greek god of slumber. Meta means several things, but one thing it means in the Latin is post or afterward. Be not conformed to the world, but after you sleep. Be not conformed to the world, but metamorphosis, but be awake. Are you with me? Is that a beautiful passage? Be not conformed to the world by being asleep. Soma. Be conformed, do not be conformed to the world by being awake. In the great movie, The Matrix, the primary character between The Matrix and the real world was a character named Morpheus. And Morpheus offered, you can stay asleep, pill, or you can wake up, pill. Did he not? And what Paul is saying to the Romans is, the people of this world are conformed. They're asleep. They walk around numb. Their appetite is their God. They manipulate. They take what they can. They say, I love you, but they really mean a whole lot of other things. And they're trying to control this world so that their insecurities don't get, don't get threatened. And oh, my name is all over that, especially in my younger years. We try to control through money. We try to control through status. We try to control life through food. We comfort ourselves with TV. We, we know we're asleep at some level and we want to wake up, but that's too hard to think about, so I'll just turn on the Bachelor Winter Games. If we don't want to conform to this world, it's not about external behavior. It's about simply waking up. You see, folks, we have this idea, oh, i got to stand up. We have this idea that we come to Christ and we come to a different place. If, if a person is not in Christ, they're asleep. When a person is in Christ and they're transformed by the changing of their mind, and I'll deal with that another time, they wake up. Coming to faith in Jesus is simply about coming home, being who we are supposed to be, not becoming something different, not stepping into a weird place, but stepping home. Can we get that? And we ask our kids, go be weird, dress differently than everybody else, listen to different music, be weird because that's good news. And they say, that doesn't sound like good news. And so they behave for us on Sunday. And when they're at home, and then they go do what they do because we've created these two different worlds. And they say they fight it intuitively. As adults, we quit fighting it. But the kids fight it intuitively. Being of faith right now has to do with simply waking up, living in the truth of who we are, not pretending living in the light, living honestly, that's being transformed. A caterpillar is not its true self until it goes through a... Thank you, Susie. 
until it goes through a metamorphosis. And then once it's after sleep, it's who it was meant to be, right? A tadpole is not who it was meant to be. And before Christ, we're not who we are meant to be. And we have this idea that Christ creates these handcuffs of rules that I can't do. That is so wrong. Shame on us, perpetuating us. Christ sets us free from that stuff to be who we are, to be awake, to be honest, and to be alive, and to breathe easy, not to create pressure, because His yoke is light. It's not a burden. Metamorphosis means literally after dreaming. So you want to know God's will? We know how to worship, be a living sacrifice, a little tricky to know what that looks like during every day, I understand. Very rarely do we get instructions on how to be kind, how to be compassionate. We're told to be compassionate, but no list. We're told to have faith, but no list. We tell people from the front, just put it, all your cares at the feet of Jesus. And I'm like, what does that mean? And Scripture rarely gives us this much insight into how to do something. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, metamorphosis, by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, so on and so forth. If a person is a living sacrifice, they're worshiping. If a person has been transformed and has moved from a manipulation mentality to a ministry mentality, then they'll be able to know what God's will is. God's will is a transformed, renewed mind. That's as simple as that. Nothing to do with Burger King, nothing to do with McDonald's. That's it. Now, if that leaves you with questions, welcome to my world. Because the Jewish people wanted to say, ah, that's too much. You mean that means we have to have a relationship? Yeah, kind of like your grandkids with you, Mark. Uh, let's go back to managing God. We'll do our sacrifices. Much easier. Take my sacrifice and do my thing. Thanks for letting me sit down, folks. My energy is low. The gospel is the good news that simply whispers, and Paul does it here. Wake up from your sleep. Be who you were created to be and come home. God loves you. God loves you awake. God loves you honest. God loves you for who you are and those secrets you have. God knows. And he loves you. And he has chased you across the universe to wake you up to be you, not to be me or not to be Susie. He has chased us through history and penetrated the clouds and said, I want you to be you. Wake up and be you. Father, thanks for, thanks for Paul and the great words that he wrote so thoughtfully at this transition point in Romans. And Father, thanks for these good people. Oh. Father, touch people where they are today. 
And where I've overspoke, please correct it. And where I've underspoken, I'd ask that you'd fill in the blanks. In Jesus' name, amen. I guess we're dismissed. Who's up next week, Clay? Do you remember? Clay Edwards is up next week. He's one of my favorites. Welcome back. These are on podcasts. And uh, Clay, so if you're interested in that, you can listen to all the last two or three months worth if you'd like to hear to Tyler's message again. Um, uh, you can do that on the, on the Cornerstone uh, and uh, website. So thanks for coming. I'll see you again in a couple weeks, and uh, I'll look forward to that. So thank you all for being here. <laughs>